Hey, welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Nice. And we have some guests in the studio today. Some, multiple, two big guests in town. Well, I guess they both live here. So we're fortunate to have them together. Well, they've come to BK. In the same room. Yeah. Yeah. All the way out to BK. This is far for Doc. <laughs> I don't get out much. <laughs> well, they don't let you out of the cage much. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's, it's not good for society. Dr. Kirk Parsley speaking, former Power Athlete Radio guest, and Mike Sorelli. Now he's speaking. When I pointed at you, yes, awesome. Sure. What's up? <laughs> and former Power Athlete Radio guest as well. Now we got them both combined, and we're and not us, John and I, but y'all are on a mission, and we're on a mission to highlight everything you're aiming to accomplish in your upcoming ventures. Yeah, so let's get some background on uh, what adventures you have. I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff, and uh, I think people would love to hear about it. Yeah, so I think uh, last time I was here, it was post Everest. Yeah, we knocked that out. So a group of us had come together and, you know, not out of boredom uh, at all, just looking for what is that next thrill. Uh, I came up with the idea of seven continents, seven days, seven skydives, which is not a new concept, which multiple groups have tried to pull off and all failed. Mm. Logistically, it's a nut roll. And uh, we're even hitting obstacles as we speak and we, we kick off on December 30th. We will get it done one way or the other. Even if we don't do seven days, let's say we did 14 days, we still set the uh, the record. Uh, there is a group that did seven continents, seven days, seven tandem skydives, and they did it in seven months. So oh. I'm sorry, not seven days, but seven months. Um, fucking, so a group. What a bunch of fucking we, uh, losers. God. I know. We've got a group of. We've uh, got that. We've got that. Yeah, we've got even, that. We, even we have to walk and swim. Set we'll, yourself up we'll for do success. That <laughs> you, know, you don't set yourself up for failure. Even without a private jet, we'll do it commercially. We'll, you know, we've we've got the ability to hit Antarctica, South America, North America, uh, three continents within like uh, probably two days. Mm-hmm. We can we can jump all three. So uh, mostly Navy SEALs, 75th Army uh, Ranger Regiment, um, the real badasses, uh, SF, uh, one Marine Scout sniper, the Black Rifle Coffee guys. We've got a lot of great sponsors uh, and. Starts in Antarctica, as I said, Santiago. From there, Chile, uh, Miami, on to uh, Barcelona, uh, Cairo, Egypt. We're going to jump over the pyramids, then on to UAE, Abu Dhabi, and then on to Perth. I and thought they we, weren't going to let us do the pyramids. They, they are. changed it. They are. That's so, nice. and that was we we didn't we weren't pushing for that, but they came back and they're like, "If you guys want to do it, we'll do it." We're like, yeah, "Of course, we're going to jump over the yeah. pyramids." A fucking great uh, deal. What else is there in Egypt? Um, yeah. Poverty. Just fed its oh, other than maybe <laughs> landing on the back of the Sphinx. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we will fly back and uh, do a ceremonial jump into Tampa, which is the home of U.S. SOCOM, for those that don't know. And uh, hopefully we can have some of the families of the Fallen that we're jumping in honor of. We can have our families, uh, the press and media and our sponsors. And then, um, you know, ultimately each jump is in honor of a fallen comrade. We'll tell their stories in the documentary, which is going to be filmed by Dan Meyerick the producer director of the Blair Witch Project, as well as Christian Crumple. And um, additionally, we're trying to raise 1,400 scholarships for Folds of Honor, which does educational scholarships for spouses and children of military service members and first responders. And so a lot of good causes behind it. And I think the best part is this group of like 15 dudes, or it's like the band is back together. Even though some of us never served directly with each other, it's, it's that same environment. Uh, who are the seven uh, individuals that you guys are representing in the jumps? 
Um, I know mine by name, uh, Michael Monsoor, who mm-hmm. jumped on a grenade three feet from me to save my life. That'll be Antarctica. Um, I want to say Andy's jumping for Dave Hall. And yeah. um, is it uh, Mike Mansour from the CrossFit? Michael, isn't that him? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's the Mike Murphy. Yeah, it was Murph, but they have a Michael workout that I thought was for Mike Mansour. Do they know? Um, um, yeah, that's one of the original ones. I think it's okay. like, yeah, isn't know. it like GHD sit-ups and 400-meter runs or something? We're going to have to look that he, one he, up. He asked me the same thing earlier. So I don't know. Well, and I, I said the same thing. I'm like, well, I know uh, it's yeah. Murph. But that's yeah, well, <laughs> well, I know the Murph one because yeah. – um, you know, we went. We did triple Murph this year. Yeah, well, you just keep adding Murphs. So we, we we went to a gym in uh, Illinois, and on the wall it said the home of the triple Murph. So they had basically taken the Murph and then times it by three to show how elite they are. And so it was terrible. But I know that there was a Michael workout, and I always thought it was Michael Mansoor. Or the Murph seems like it's become the most popular by far. Yeah. Well, the uh, um, yeah, and the CrossFit thing, it's just become. What's the Murph pull ups and runs? Uh, it's. 100, 100 pull-ups, pull-ups and, 200 push-ups, 300 air squats, mile, oh no, mile run, then that, then mile run. So it's two miles and then. That's awful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's terrible. Dude. Yeah. Not, not when I was young, it doesn't sound awful, but now. Yeah, it's it's the 100 pull-ups. Like that's just fucking. Strict. Yeah, yeah strict. that no, take, that'd take me a while. No, strict. Is it strict? No, no, no so 50 so round. Where text you well, me he's been cheating the whole time. I, yep. of course. <laughs> Hey, play to win. Uh, but it's supposed to be done with a 50-pound weighted vest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah no, no, I, no self-respecting man does yeah. pull-ups. Uh, I remember when we did it, uh, when I actually owned a CrossFit gym, we were like, well, we fucking have to do it as a rite of passage. And uh, the 100 weighted pull-ups with 50 was a uh, fucking arm-exploding workout. The, the push-ups weren't bad. Sips weren't bad. Yeah. The run wasn't really a run. It was more of a... Me like yeah, yog. Uh, no, what do you uh, like yogging? But more like a <laughs> stumble, 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 yog, stumble, 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 weight stumble. It wasn't good. Yeah. So so Michael Monsoor, who uh, Andy's jumping for Dave Hall, who uh, yeah, unfortunately took his life. Monsoor is the workout, the hero workout. Oh, the from Monsoor. Monsoor. Yeah, in four it. rounds, eight hundred meter run, twenty sumo deadlift high pulls, twenty burpees, one hundred four. Uh, Farmer's carry, what's that? 100-yard uh, farmer's carry, 40 sit-ups. Okay. Uh, yeah, we did that. Weighted vest. Yeah, that, I, that was an awful workout. I, I always thought that if uh, we had a hero workout for parsley, it would just be uh, six miles of backwards running. <laughs> I, I, no, that eight, went over my head. No, eight hours of sleep. <laughs> like just eight, yeah, it would be eight hours of sleep and then uh, yeah. followed by whiskey and steak. <laughs> well, then 225 bench press. 405 back squat with duck feet. Yeah. Uh, let, me, Man, let me tell you something. About I, I didn't know. I, yeah, I didn't know Dave Hall passed away. I'm uh, fucking it. But I mean, that's. Um, I know he and Andy were super close, and I met. I, I knew him through Andy. So um, that's uh, that's a sad deal. But um, I'm glad that we're remembering him in a positive way. And it just goes to show everyone's dealing with demons, even though they may may not show it publicly. Um, the last jump into uh, t- to Tampa will be for the Kabul 13. Okay. Those young yeah. uh, Marines, I think one sailor, one soldier yeah. that uh, passed away during the uh, withdrawal. And so the cool thing, too, is we will set two world records. We have one 73-year-old uh, who's going to be tandemed in. This guy's a mule. This mule kicks. Uh, former Marine back in the day. Nice. Um, and he was 
He was part of the original record. Yeah, so he seven, was part of that seven, seven month, seven, seven month, continent, one. seven oh. month tandem jumps. Well, the the thing I love about Marines is even when they get old, they still identify as Marines. Yeah, like I, I've I've met seventy five, eighty year old Marines who still have the haircut and still introduce themselves as Marines, yeah. and you're like. Once a Marine, always Marine. That's what I always <laughs> and love if they about only them. serve like two or four years, they all, still, all like they've got to do is go through Paris Island and it like changes <laughs> their life. Man. Yeah. yeah, I went through San Diego, and they just like go. Hey, there's there's a sticker on the back of their truck, and they're yeah. in for for life. Yeah. I, love, I yeah. love it. The uh, the world records that we will set and we will set them are not going to bear our names. It's going to be there, bear the names of the fallen, and so that we can present. Them. We'll hopefully get multiple copies and present them to the uh, to the families. Um, so yeah, we're you know Legacy Expeditions is in full swing, and we've got some other expeditions like uh, Drake's Passage, rowing that possibly in December of 2023 oh, wow. from Antarctica yeah. to the tip of uh, South America, um, which are some of the roughest waters. Yeah, we we had um, uh, Colin O'Brady on, who's the guy that walked across Antarctica by himself. We had him on the podcast. Uh, pretty much, what was it like fifty? to 54 days with just a yeah. sled him. I was no, going to say sled kill behind him. Yeah, uh, full of food. And it was just him walking by himself, unaided, nothing for you know X amount of days. So he set up a tent. I think, yeah. Whack. And then yeah. I think he didn't stop for like the last like seven days. He just kept walking. Because he was going to run out of food or something, yeah. right? Yeah, he just kept going. He right. was just like, fuck it, I won't stop. And uh, so we, we had him on the podcast and uh, I went back and started researching all of like the historical, like... The, the, the times that people had I, it's pretty fascinating to like look at like that stretch as being one of the most treacherous on the planet so. that's insane he, he had a similar goal it was seven of the highest or the highest peak on each continent within I don't know if it was seven days but it was certainly each set each continent I, I like because I remember the uh, the k2 one which is slightly lower than Everest but like 400 times more gnarly yes so he was on like that assault and then I think like the Guys assaulted right before them, and then they went up. And well, it was definitely not seven days. Um, no, there's no. no way. Yeah, because it takes you like he seven. Couldn't, he couldn't walk the mountains. And not like well, it also yeah. it takes you something like um, what was it like seven months to uh, do acclimatize yeah. at base camp? They got to like hang out yeah. there for a bunch of days. Yeah, yeah. Damn, Nims Nims is a freak when it comes down to it. Just a Nims day, fourteen peaks. Yeah, yeah. because a freak. With uh, this, yeah, different guy, but I know. either yeah, way, no. Both are. He's just saying that's what it's based off of. Yeah. Oh, this, this guy's. Okay. Uh, you know. yeah, so, no. yeah, Nims was a former uh, British SBS guy mm-hmm. um, who basically got out and uh, leveraged, I think, took a second mortgage on his house to do that. Of course, he's in Nepali, so he was with the uh, Gurkhas. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I think he was the first Gurkha to try out for uh, British Special Forces and made mm-hmm. it SBS. But that's, have you seen the documentary? No. Oh, you've got to go watch it. Okay. The guys, you know, you look at them, you wouldn't think otherwise, but there's something with, with the Sherpa, uh, you know, uh, ethnicity. They, they must just oxygenate differently. Well, and, and, and it's, I mean, the, and it's gen- generations in, yeah. those, in, those, uh, in that altitude too. It's like when I went to Peru, like there's not a, there's not a flat square inch in that whole damn country. You're either going straight up or straight down all the time. There's just stairs everywhere. And we had all these people who had been training for a year to run, you know, this, uh, you know, to run the, the trail that goes to, uh, Machu Picchu, uh, and, it, and it's a marathon and they're going to run through it. 
Well, the, the Sherpas are just like random guys that they grabbed and said, hey, you want to help us? And they had like these 200-pound backpacks on with like all the tents and food and everything. And to set these people up. up. And they went, they did the thing twice in the length of time that all these people were running. <laughs> <laughs> and then they, you know, and then they, you know, they come by and we have the ceremony for them and we give them, you know, a bunch of money for them, which is essentially like 30 bucks for us, you know, it was like $1,500 for them. And they were just like, you know, 22 to 30 year old dudes who were like gardeners or worked at a shop, whatever. And someone just grabbed them. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. And, and I was exhausted just like walking around, like just going, just going to restaurants and just like walking from like going to sightseeing, whatever. Like my legs were smoked. I was tired like for two weeks the whole time I was there. And they like, you know, it, it's a it's a totally different animal, man. But you, there's you grow a, up in it. There's a documentary about I think it's called the Sea People, where there was a, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a, a group of indigenous people. I think it's somewhere outside the Philippines that live on no land. They live on basically these thatched islands that they've made, and their entire existence is in the sea. And like these guys have like you know six minute like underwater free dives. They hunt. Mm. They, they're like and they went and did a bunch of genetics. Like there's something different in their eyes. Their lungs are different. How they oxygenate mm. blood. I mean, it's just like completely different uh set of things going on with those individuals that have adapted them to this life so i mean it makes sense i mean if you humans those, are very adaptable so they basically change their dna yeah and then pass it yeah you know, yeah it's, it's down uh, to the next generation yeah and uh i mean it's it's pretty much uh you know like a form follows function yeah i mean if this yeah. is if this is your life you're eventually going to live into it i mean mm. you know you think about being born in peru i mean that's all those individuals know. Yeah. And you're like, God, this is like some random gardener. But like, look at the Sherpa guys that carry all that stuff. And you'll see these people climbing Everest. And there's like a Sherpa dude with like a wool coat on. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like, like with no crimpins. And all these dudes are covered in all this like North Face stuff. And the dude's like pulling the guy up. And you're like, he's like, oh, this is my seventh fucking summit this month. Yeah. You know? Well, and it's it's like when the ultra marathons first started getting popular. I had, I had a seal buddy who got into them. And, uh. He, you know, he had all his gear and, you know, his goo packs and like his schedule and his watch and his heart rate monitor and knew exactly when he was going to eat and hydrate and all this stuff. And, and he's like, but every time I'll get my ass kicked by some Mexican guy who like ran with a burrito and he had like uh, uh, sandals made out of car tires. <laughs> he beat everybody by three hours. <laughs> this episode of Power Athlete Radio is powered by Train Heroic the most immersive strength training app experience on the market. We've built our online training business by partnering with Train Heroic and helping us deliver all of our world-class training programs like Jack Street, Field Strong, and Grindstone. To learn which Power Athlete training program best suits your goals, head to powerathletehq.com training. And if you're a coach looking to build a business with the best tech and training, go to trainheroic.co forward slash powerathletehq. And now back to the show. Yeah. Fuck. That's, uh, um, was there any talk of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw this, but did you ever see, uh, Bear Grylls? So I always thought Bear Grylls was like a complete fucking scam. Uh, like I just thought it was always bullshit, you know, cause you'd be like, oh, look at this, you know, and like, and then they show the camera. He's like, you know, right next to a, uh, like a hotel and they just like, you know, it was movie magic. So I always kind of thought he was bullshit. And then there was a, um, a deal on YouTube where those guys had those, um, uh, they're like those little like winged carts that have like a little, I don't know, a fan on the back. And uh, they somehow, like he went over the top of Everest in it. 
And like we watched a YouTube video and he's like doing this and all of a sudden he's like, woo, and like went over the top of Everest. And I was like, okay, that guy's not full of shit. Bear Grylls. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch this. So uh, uh Christian, our our producer, he said he was telling me, he's like, Yeah, this this expedition is Bear Grylls meets meets America's greatest race or something like that. Greatest American Yeah, race. the amazing race. Oh, the amazing race. race. Yeah. There you go. I didn't yeah. know it either one of them were because uh, I'm so I think I'm a Bear Grylls so. get in trouble <laughs> yeah. for like sleeping in hotels yeah. or yeah, and and so they it's a good move. They were also like uh, like shooting him, and then they like somebody came over and like was like you know like Instagrammers in the wild was shooting, and he's like right next to a hotel, and they're like oh I'm out here in the wild, and they were, it was all staging this shit. So I was like this guy's full of shit. So I remember this is years ago we got online, and there was a YouTube video, and I I don't know what they're called, but they're like these little on like flight deals, and they have like a. A, a, looks like a fan in the back. Oh, so basically he's under a canopy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like a paraglider. Yeah, yeah like, like a paraglider yeah. canopy. Yeah. And these guys are going back and forth and they're like, ah, oh, the winds are too much. And he's like, we're going for it. He's like, woohoo. I just remember he went over the top of Everest. And I'm like, okay, that guy's not a total fucking fraud if he's basically in this small little hang glider with like a uh, what looked like a ceiling fan attached to his ass. Yeah. And he went over Everest. But so was I, it Everest? Yeah. It was legitimately Everest. He did it. Movie magic. Uh, it could be. I mean, it was on YouTube, so who knows? But was there any talk about you guys jumping out like at Everest? And was that ever on the on the table? So, you know, people are like, unfortunately, when we did some media, people are like, they landed on Everest. We're like, no, we did not land on Everest. <laughs> we landed next to Everest. Um, you know, could you land on Everest? No. 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 It, could somebody? I, I think you need like a a giant sized hook and pile like tape onto the peak and then I'd have to wear a suit a hook and but, pile. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you guys jumped out and then like went by Everest. Yes. I mean, obviously you landed. Yep. Uh, as you were going through that, I mean, was, I mean, like coming through the clouds and realizing what this is the tallest peak in the world. Was there... So did y'all, did y'all fall past the peak? So, so yeah, like so you went out above yes, it and like fell... Yes. In, in essence, yes. 10,000 um, feet or something. I, I want to say first you were so focused on getting a good shoot, yeah, parachute over your head, uh, but everything was on oxygen. Yeah, it was. I wish I could have stayed up there longer. I, you know, I wasn't turning and burning whatsoever in terms of like steep uh, turns because you just wanted to stay under canopy at elevation as long as possible. Sure, um, but it was. I, I've, I've told my wife and I told Andy we're gonna have to take our uh, spouses out there next year to do it. And I'll tandem my wife in to, to the same drop zones if I can get uh, the, the guy who runs it to, to bless that off. But what you the mention of Bear Grylls, what we want to do is for future trips, pretty much do the same thing, but on steroids, mm -hmm. where there's no camera crew. I'm prescribing on the on steroids. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no camera crew on the ground. Uh, we jump in the camera crew. So uh -huh. everything is organic. Yeah. Almost sort of like a Les Stroud survivor man, if you remember that. He was yeah. A, so wait a minute. Your wife and Andy's wife are going to let you guys tandem them in. In Nepal. There's no fucking way my wife would. My wife would be like, you can go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way you're getting in the area though. You know, my wife has said the same thing. She's like, I don't know if you're that good. Like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I don't I'm like, trust you. I'm that not. Much. That's the I've exciting seen you part. With the kids. You are not that good. <laughs> you can't change the diaper. There, there is one place. So Namchi, which is the highest city in the world, you've seen the pictures. Yeah. It's like the half dome on, on on tiers. Yeah. Just about an hour hike north of that at a higher elevation is something called the um, 360 Sherpa Lodge. And you wake up at 5 a.m. to watch the sun come over one of the peaks. And you just keep doing a 360. And it's just, 
you see Everest, you see Amon de Blanc, you see all the major peaks, uh, Loopsy. It is phenomenal. Even if you weren't doing jumps or climbing the mountains just to go hike there and, and stay there one night and wake up in the morning, see that is like nothing I've ever seen before. Sweet. Yeah. So what's the uh, jumping in Antarctica? Um, what part of, uh, I mean, obviously Antarctica is, uh, is real big. I mean, are you guys going to go off the shelf? Because Tex believes that's like we're the end of the world, the shelf and the, the wall. And, and the wall. Are you going to jump over the jump wall? Jump off the wall. Yeah. Um, so we are going to uh, Union Glacier Camp. Okay. Uh, we'll have to stay there. So we arrive on the 3rd, according to the plan. We'll probably get a jump between then and the 9th. But the plan is to jump on the 9th. The 757 comes in to pick us up. So we jump the morning of the 9th. That thing comes in the afternoon. We get on there. And we head off to this is uh, news to me. You realize <laughs> that when you guys jump in Antarctica, uh, you'll be able to actually squash any of the flat earth theories like that alone is good because you're like, well, if it was, I mean, we'll legitimately have cameras. I mean, we can see the curve. You can see all this. So apparently, I guess uh, the environmentalists don't like skydiving out in Antarctica as if Why? the hundred other people in the camp like stomping around, stomping around and do anything differently. Than we uh, than we do. Well, there's so, pyramids down it's all there, the, and, that's, and that's where all the uh, like the aliens and reptiles live. It's so all the mean, farting they, that occurs because of the altitude, <laughs> and you're putting CO two. Yeah, into you're, the you're bringing that CO two yeah. down to the surface. Going on. Well, uh, that yeah. that was funny when we had Colin on. He was uh, he, he like you know showed up to give some talk, and um, there was some guy like hanging around, hanging around. Finally, like goes over, he's like, hey, you know, it's just his family was there, and the guy's like, okay, nobody's here. You can you can be honest. Like, you saw it, right? He's like, so what? He's like, you know, the edge. And he like went through this whole thing. He's like, I, I walked from end to end and I didn't see any of the stuff. It was nothing but white. The guy's like, well, and he's like, no, but I went uphill. And then the GPS told me when I was going downhill, I legitimately went over the crest. And uh, this guy was like, there's no way they got to you. And just like stormed off. And I'm like, ah. well, that's God so it. to me, that's the true definition of a conspiracy, right? Conspiracy theorist, right? Because a conspiracy theorist, basically, no matter what evidence you provide, they're going to find a way to discredit that evidence and say why that doesn't matter. So I think if you just believe something that's non-mainstream, but you but nobody can give you good evidence as to why it's not true, it's not really a conspiracy theorist. It's just a it's a belief. It's a theory. It's a theory. Yeah. For but, example, but when you aren't willing to change your mind, no matter what, then like I if you, the difference if, between a conspiracy theory and a theory was just six months. <laughs> well, that's that's turning out to be true. <laughs> The Lately. biggest conspiracy I think that's that's out there is that Kirk Parsley was actually a SEAL. Yeah. I've never saw it. I've never <laughs> met anyone that served with him. Yeah. I know he was a doctor. Ah, uh, that's not true. I did meet somebody that served with him. So I have. And uh, I've got some cool guy pictures from the 80s, man. My just you and the UDCs. Yeah. Let, let me just say this. Um, if you've ever had a dinner with Kirk and he's surrounded with a bunch of guys from his era, <laughs> you're talking like late 80s, 90s, and there's, there's one in particular uh, – in Dripping Springs, Bruce, Schleiman, yeah. that you get a few drinks and the stories come out. And my wife was just like, she's like, I don't want you. <laughs> Why aren't these guys in prison? Because we were SEALs. <laughs> we were fortunate that their generation did not go to war. Yeah. Because they would have been on the front page of, of yeah. every uh, major mm. news outlet. Just it was a different it's yeah, a different it, era. It was a different time. I, I think this is like this is pre Christ. <laughs> ethics didn't really exist. And, uh, well, there was a weird time, and we've talked about it on the podcast. There was a weird time in history, which uh, actually uh, was about two hundred years, where we talk about like the death of God 
Uh, when you gods, talk about it. I talk about it. It's, mm-hmm. it's my favorite part in, uh, in philosophy where like nobody believed in the Roman gods anymore. And it was before Jesus Christ. So there was like 200 years when like people like parsley could just fucking <laughs> crush shit. So, <sighs> All right. So what else? Anyway. Uh, the seven continents you're representing these guys. Um, is this just like the first piece in the puzzle? I mean, we obviously talked about a few other adventures associated with this. Is this kind of something that you guys are going to do and kind of extend into some different <clears throat> adventures? Yes. And, and it wasn't necessarily, you know, I didn't go in with this sort of business proposal of what this would turn into. Everest was a proofing concept. Um, and we did raise 200,000 for the kids of extortion 17 oh, shit. For, for scholarships. Uh, so, you know, we would love to look at a, a pipeline where we can take those trips where, well, one, we like jumping into unknown DZs, mm-hmm. DZs in elevation in the mountains that aren't traditional, you know, sports drop zones. Mm-hmm. And we want to do it with uh, veterans who need a spiritual awakening, awakening. And that could be as simple as like, hey, I used to ride on the side of the little birds. I just need to feel that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then additionally, you know, Logan Stark and Jericho Demon uh, are involved. Uh, you got Andy Stumpf. You got Dot supporting with the human performance side, which is always interesting. I mean, Whoop is going to be looking at the performance of uh, all the uh, guys on the expedition, especially mm-hmm. when you think about switching from time zone to time zone. We're f- we're, we are specifically flying coach to, let's just say, Inject to, a little to pain. see if I'll have an aneurysm. That's why we're doing it. Uh, <laughs> to I, mess with I guys recommend uh, Doc in a in a middle seat. <laughs> middle seat, yeah, yes. middle seat the whole way between two rather large people. Yeah, yeah. as if you're not large yourself. Yeah. So uh, we we are looking heavily at the the human performance piece, and we're going to share that 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 information um, with with everyone. We're not holding that close, especially if there's a way because we're looking at uh like the circadian rhythm. Uh, glasses and lights to see if it, it helps uh, sort of assimilate people to the different time zones. But the, the lack we're of sleep. Gonna, yeah, we're going to see. What, we're going to test a bunch of different yeah. things to see if we can what what truly mitigates the unavoidable uh, detriment to people's health and performance during this. Right. So of course, when you misalign everybody's circadian rhythms and um, yeah changing locations and the stress and the frustration and chaotic sleep cycles and all of that stuff. Like everybody's going to be, you know, shit sandwich essentially. And so we're going to see what types of things can we do that are going to help people, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, uh, and we're doing some testing. We're doing uh, uh, salivary cortisol like during it. We're doing some serum labs before and after, but it's too hard to ship everything back. So we're doing like some salivary cortisol along the way and like some some other testing, neurocog tests, strength tests and things like that. Just watching people's decline, seeing, no, it's not true research. There's no IRB. People are just going to say, hey, I want to do that. I, like here, you know, here's a smorgasbord of things you can choose from if you want to try it, like a supplement or, you know, whatever, uh, some sort of, you know, the glasses, the retimers, all this type of stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll write it all up at the end and just say like, you know, it's not going to be any surprise what we see as far as people declining uh, over time, but, you know, there might be some surprises into like, what, what sorts of things work. So Whoop with a band has created a group. Anyone can go onto the Whoop app and see how we're performing mm-hmm. yeah, uh, recovery cool. and strain. Yeah. So the public can get involved. I think everyone's going to decline pretty rapidly at, at what really point thing, yeah. is going to be interesting. I think everyone will decline except for me, but that's just because of who I am. Yeah. Um, 
Is uh, is there a, a ton of physical stress with skydiving? You know, what? for a lot of guys, because a lot of the, these guys have a lot of jumps, it's not as <clears> noticeable <throat> from the early days. But I think it will pop its ugly head back up when guys are on the bird in Barcelona having a little sleep mm-hmm. and get worse and worse. I think that the nerves will come back like, oh, my God, I'm not at at the traditional and the and the, alti- and the altitude will yeah. matter as well because you know they get up and they start getting slightly hypoxic and then the heart rate goes up and it's it's stress that's raising their heart rate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why we conducted one week of training mm-hmm. in Phoenix. We did that October the three eight or three through eight, and so three, yeah. we got five hundred and fifty jumps amongst the thirteen. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Safely done. We're going back December fifth to the eighth. Uh, to do a second camp, working on uh, canopy control skills, confined EZs, and putting process and procedure in place because, you know, we know this. It's that process and procedure that's going to get us through safely when your cognitive abilities and your performance start to dip from from the uh, the sleep sleep deprivation. Um, But ultimately, to, to your question is, we want to turn this into something where we can uphold the legacy of the fallen, hence legacy expeditions, tell their their stories because when their stories stop being told, that's when their stories die. Yeah. Uh, as well as securing the education of their legacies left behind, their kids, their spouses. Uh, but we would love to also give and set up uh, free fall camps for vets, some amputees, get them outfitted for uh, specialized rigs uh, every few months where we take 15, 20 of them and get them their A license, put them through AFF. Um, and give them the gift of flight. Nice, yeah. it's badass. So, uh, and we have an offer for you too. Oh, you do the tandem seat. You should. Yeah, for I, I think he's outside. There's no way, dude. Weight. I'm, I'm like two. I remember years ago, Stump was like you would have to weigh like two twenty five. There is a new rig that I think is up to eight hundred pounds between oh. you. So it's no, the tandem heavy. I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the million dollar. Yeah, yeah. Come on, it's only dollars, a man. million bucks you get to come along and do every jump. <laughs> oh. That sounds just, amazing. That's yeah, discretionary income for you. Oh. you just, oh, yeah, uh, it's, yeah, it's yeah, just take, take a week vacation, John. I got you. Uh, yeah. A week I, vacation I, I, that might end up being three weeks long. Yeah. I never know. Hey, honey, uh, I'll be back. Uh, that sounds, I mean, I'll that, be back so in one form or another. If anybody is interested, <laughs> reach out to Mike Sorelli. Well, Brooks. put your offer in. Uh, yeah. Reach out to L. Robinson at foldsofhonor.org. Larry Robinson. Uh, again, L Robinson at foldsofhonor.org. And uh, that did, that that money goes direct to Folds of Honor. It's 100% uh, tax deductible. We did have some interesting parties in, in the beginning. Somebody will, will, will pop that back up and they'll be part of a world record attempt. So nice. Pretty cool. Hey, Doc, uh, I know you just had a big peptide conference. I've been dying to ask you, is there anything next level on the peptide front that we need to know about? <sighs> man <laughs> that, that's uh that's a whole other podcast, that's a whole other podcast yeah. well I, uh, as you guys know uh, doc parsley is a 99 level wizard when it comes to peptides and that type of stuff what would you say a peptide is john it's uh <laughs> it's uh, actually just a whole bunch of little proteins that are bound together and that's what peptides are they're little proteins that bound together that elicit a response and <clears> the well they're so they're characteristically smaller than proteins but it's a little change of amino acids. Ah, sorry, amino acids. Yeah. Um, and they vary, you know, from two or three to 50, 60, I think Tesmorellin's around something, 70 or something like that. But um, 
they're in your body organically and uh, they have all sorts of, so like, you know, growth hormone, I want to say is like 191 amino acids long. And uh, when it gets, pr- uh, when it gets first produced and gets cleaved down to, to uh, 170 something, 150 something, 157, not on something. But as you, as you progressively cleave those amino acid blocks off, um, they they have different physiological effects. So does growth hormone increase fatty oxidation and make you leaner? Yes. But you don't need the entire growth hormone molecule. You just need the little section in there. And that's the peptide. Mm. And so they're figuring, they're just figuring these things out by finding peptides and going, let's see what this does. And sure. they start, they put it in mice and, you know, they, you know, they start doing bench top research with it and they figure it out. Now the Russians have been doing this stuff since the eighties. Um, I thought it was even earlier than before that. Um, well, they were publishing that it the government the knows about. No, yeah, well, they're, I mean, they're publishing in the eighties about it. Uh, so if you, if you, if you read Russian well, then you can, uh, at a technical level, you could probably get a lot of data on it. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, of course they're Olympic athletes and, um, get, getting past whatever testing we had for, in those days, because yeah, wherever they're looking for are, Diana ball and these dudes are using peptides. Yeah. And so it, it, essentially every physiological function in your body is controlled by peptides to some degree. Sure. And so you can enhance and, you know, you can ramp things up that you want to be higher and you can settle things down that you want to be lower and, um, you have to understand a lot of cellular physiology to understand like what's the right peptide for that. And that's kind of the game right now. Um, uh, and then you have to be able to get them because they're all technically for research and not FDA approved. You can get them through pharmacies for research. Um, so, but uh, you can obviously buy anything off the internet, but I, sure, would, you can. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can buy a nuclear weapon if you yeah, want to. And, and yeah. uh, you buy peptides and uh, that actually at the, at the conference, one of the things that they presented was, uh, uh, and it was a third party, had nothing to do with uh, uh, anyone who sold peptides or dealt with them. It's a third party uh, chemistry organization that, they imported, I can't remember what it was, but it's one of the most, one of the more common uh, peptides. Um, and I, I want to say it's like 80, like 81 different samples and two of them had the active ingredient in it. Mm. And those two only had 2% of what they claimed. So everybody was just buying crushed bird feathers and from China and, you know, thinking they were taking peptides and they're taking something totally inert or hopefully inert, <laughs> hopefully it wasn't, uh, uh, harmful. So really the access is, um, is reputable place to get. Them. Yeah. I mean, I, I would go through a physician who, who deals in that and it's not that uncommon now. I mean, there's, there, you know, it's, uh, well, it's I, kind I, of in that age management medicine field they a lot of those guys have transitioned away from just giving everybody growth hormone mm-hmm. uh to to working with peptides um it's, yeah there's several thousand doctors in america that do it and there's several hundred who are probably really good at it so it's not that hard to find somebody my son's a type 1 diabetic yeah so he's, he's a type 1 and so um there's a ton of research in the peptide field like the semiglutide increasing uh, beta cell density. I mean, there's all of this really interesting stuff 
that I'm like uh, somehow like um, I set up alerts on Google. So I've been getting a ton of research and then doc always comes back with always some interesting stuff from these peptide stuff. So that's where I kind of dived in because I really think at some point they're going to figure out like how to turn the beta cells back on, which is really interesting with type one diabetics, the beta cells get attacked, but yet the alpha cells don't. So like, it's so weird that like this autoimmune thing attacks this one little thing and uh, for him, his beta cells uh, are like they work sometimes, but not all the time. So like he doesn't take insulin every day for every meal. And sometimes he's fine. It's it's like this moving target because he's in something called the honeymoon where his beta cells are still functioning. Uh, it's just like it's super inconsistent. So it's not like these other people where they're like, oh, their beta cells don't work. So they can kind of manage everything. For him, it's like you give him a half an a unit of, of insulin and it doesn't do anything. And then other days it puts him in the tank. So it's like a constant, like he has a CGM on his arm. It's like yes. this constant, yes. like trying to hit a moving target. And I keep thinking that like of all of the stuff I've seen, they've done immunotherapies. I mean, like I'm on all, like I get, I get all of these studies on the type one stuff. And, um, you know, they've got into like immunosuppressants. They've got into this. I mean, the one thing at least I think is uh, finding a way to replenish and kind of rebuild the beta cells, which I think is a viable option with the peptides. Yeah. And the, and the other thing that you can do is you can, you can make his insulin sensitivity so amazing that, um, you know, just putting, you know, two or three standard deviations above the norm and in insulin sensitivity. And then he actually needs less insulin to be healthy. And now you increase his beta cell density and increase, you know, production of that. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Coming up from a couple of different angles. So some, sometime within his lifetime, they'll, that's what docs think. They'll, they'll, yeah. they'll figure a way to activate the, I'm, I mean, the, uh, uh, in like a, try to research like like how far back did we find about type one and uh there was writing in ancient greek where they called it a uh, wasting disease mm -hmm. where an individual would die in a puddle of their own sugary urine so i mean they've had i mean you know ancient greek i mean thousands of years we've had this type one diabetes mm -hmm. and uh it's pretty amazing like um the guy who there's a uh dr bernstein who wrote a pretty good book called the bernstein protocol he talks about like when they first started actually exogenous insulin, I mean, people would just die and there's nothing you can do. And then they came up with exogenous insulin and they were getting from pigs. And like, he takes you on this whole journey where all of a sudden he would like take it and they had no way to check your blood sugar. So he would just fall and like pass out, mm -hmm. you know, just go into like, uh, um, uh, where the uh, blood sugar drops and you go into what's a diabetic coma. Yeah, di yeah, diabetic coma. Yeah. And then wake up like three days later and be like, Oh fuck, I, I guess I took too much. I mean, the story is fucking like, like the craziest shit I've ever heard. It's like probably like if you go back and read like, um, you know, the, the seal, uh, Vietnam era seals and you're like, Jesus, I would have died the first day. Those I guys. mean, all, all medicine's crazy like that. If you, if you look at, uh, the idea of blood transfusion, they did that in medical schools, like up on the lecture on the lectern, they'd say like, Hey, well, a couple of people coming out and they just like put blood from one person into another to prove that you could do this. Of course, they didn't know anything about type blood typing, and so if the if the types didn't mat, match, you know, maybe both guys died, or maybe one guy died, and like, and that's, I mean, that that was literally happening on a regular basis. Like, oh, there's this new this new concept, and they come in and, and they you know, start doing it, and, and you know, I don't know. You read about the frontal lobotomy and like what yeah. what a bunch of quackery that was, and how long that lasted, and I mean, it, it's all pretty scary, man. Well, there was a dude they were talking about was a battlefield surgeon did the uh, fastest amputation. Did you ever read this? 
I, I didn't so, read that, but then I, I hear we take the largest jumps in medicine and understanding during wartime. And then we, we just for, had Omar Crispy on. Yeah. yeah. Definitely for trauma and oh, and, sure. and, um, and infectious disease. Yeah. Well, well, we had Omar on and, um, you know, he, a 200 pound IED blew up his Humvee and burned 75 to 80% of his body. Mm. And uh, the whole time as we're sitting here, um, you know, your skin is your body's largest organ. And it's how your nervous system interacts with, with the, the surroundings. And it's like the skin, like. The fact that he crispied himself, like, I just wonder, like, his nervous system must be just like, ah, like, it must, it, I mean, mm. it's it, like, as we're sitting here talking, I'm like, man, like, like, this is the stuff that's going through my mind. And the fact that this dude is being able to sit here and have, you know, good sense of humor with a laugh on his face. I'm like, this might be the toughest motherfucker on the planet. And he, he spoke about his friends in different uh, prosthetics and how advanced it's become since, you yeah. like, the Iraqi freedom. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, the um, prosthetics are, have come a really, really long way. I mean, as, especially as, the hands. Like, there's there some amazing things with hands. Uh, like, uh, um, I, there, there was a whole bunch of uh, uh, video stuff on, like, the prosthetics because, um, like, um, I actually worked with a guy who was uh, below the knee amputee, and then I got reached out to a guy that was above the knee amputee, and there's, like, a huge distinction. The guys that are yeah. below the knee can live pretty normal when they go above the knee. It's, like, it's really right. dicey. So I got into this and the fucking research, the computer models and how they're doing this. And like, they were talking about the cost and I'm like, you know what? Fuck you. That's where I want my tax dollars. I want to earmark it. Like figure right. out how to get soldiers the most bitching prosthetics and let them live normal lives. Like that's what I want to all my tax dollars. Like that's what we should be wasting. Yeah. Not fucking IRS agents. We've got a guy on our training program, Grindstone. So James Simpson. Yeah. So he was in the, the UK, serves in the military, but now uh, wheelchair rugby. Uh, murder ball. Murder ball. Have you oh. seen this? No. Oh my, it's awesome. These guys play uh, rugby in wheelchairs and absolutely fuck each other up. Yeah. So like James posts his training on his Instagram. So it's cool to see him adapt and get creative to find grindstone and connect it to still the movement pattern, still the planes of motion, yeah. and how he's able to do it and then carry it over to a badass. Yeah, on the they're court. on these like they have these bitch in like wheelchairs that just go fucking Mach one and they just launch them into each other. It's fucking great. And I was like, this is the most violent thing I've ever seen. I'm in. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh it it's and they're a protected yeah. group, so who can tell them not to do it, right? And they're they're all in on it. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, Yeah, fuck you, don't tell me what to do. It's like, so, hey dude, I I lost my legs. Yeah, so kiss my good. ass. <laughs> but no, like, like the prosthetic stuff's really fascinating. I'd like I and, but then there's the other part of us where we're like, fuck man, like uh, this is the other piece. If you're going to send people to war, you have to have a plan in place to deal with them when they come back and take care of your fucking broken toys. Right. You can't send people over and expect them to do this and bring them home and then be like, you're on your own. Like if you send these individuals over there and, and you know, you break your toys, fix your toys, take care of them. I think uh, that to me personally is um, the most disgusting uh fucking most difficult thing for me to stomach as an American to think that we don't take care of our uh, individuals that go fight our wars. Well, you know, it, it's in the contract. And the problem with it is that it's a big administrative glut like everything else. You know, you the VA started out as a good concept and now it's 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 just overwhelmed by bureaucracy. And, um, you know, the you know, the, con, the you know, this this came this came up all the time when when, uh, when I was retiring SEALs. And they, none of them want to put in a disability package, you know, because they're like, I'm not disabled. Like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, and I'm like, that, you're not like, that's not that's not the point. That's that's not the agreement. The agreement was, hey, 
I will do anything you teach me to do and, you know, jump out of planes, like whatever, like whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And you teach me to do it, I'll do it. And their side of it is, and we'll fix everything that we break. And if we can't fix it, we'll compensate you for it. So being a hundred percent disabled vet doesn't mean that you're a hundred percent disabled. It means that's a hundred percent of the amount of money they're willing to give you for everything they broke. Yeah. And you can be a totally normal looking guy, completely capable going out and working out and doing, you know, living life. But that doesn't mean that you don't have a ton of, you know, a ton of medical problems that they can't fix. And they're saying, well, since we can't fix it, you know, here's a couple of grand a month instead. Sure. And, and, you know, then you can go try experimental treatments with that money or, you know, whatever invested. If you think your life's going to be shorter or whatever, like that, you know, that's the game. Um, and that, I, I will say that I think at least in our community, things are getting better, right? But it's not from the VA. It's all from the nonprofit organizations, you know, um, and and that's moving the needle, though, because that stuff's getting some public attention and, and it's and it's gone beyond our community now. And lot, there's lots of non-for-profits paying for, uh, you know, really crazy stuff like hyperbarics, right? Like we know hyperbarics works, yeah. but the FDA regulates the hell well, out of it. And won't I mean, I played in the NFL, which was pretty much like going to war. Yeah. Of oh, yeah. Tom Same Brady. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. So, I just had Tom Herman on uh, the UT football right. coach yeah. Uh, yeah. right before this uh, on my podcast, and I'm like, so you, you and Tom, you, you and Tom Brady, it's like you guys both went to war. He's like, oh, I'm not. Uh, so Doc, it, it's a joke because Doc and I yeah. are on this text thread where we're basically battling about him, like, oh yeah, playing the NFL is like going to war, and then I've said, so, so yeah. that was my si- silent jab at our fucking inside fucking yeah. deal. But yeah, we, we totally went to war. I, I, I like I fought imaginary wars in the trenches and the battles. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you asked a question about what, what one the VA triggers me, like just yeah. to go on to the VA and just. I, it took me two years to get hearing aid replacements. I still don't have a replacement for my CPAP. It's, I've been out for nine years. I haven't seen the VA once. Well, I, I did. So <laughs> funny enough, when I retired, they're like, hey, you got to go to uh, either San Antonio for what, what is here? What's the base? Uh, the Air Force base? Hood? Not, not, not here in Austin. Uh, oh, uh, oh, yeah. Neighbors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to go get your retired ID. I'm like, Roger, thanks. <laughs> and then finally, I got mine about a year ago. And of course, I'm married now. So I need my wife to have one for insurance purposes. And I'm like, you're about to get an education and hurry up and wait around. Yeah, and we don't, yeah, we, we don't do that here. So <laughs> they get over there. The VA should <laughs> be downsized like every government organization well, to a core set of If you just got rid functions. of them and we just privatized them. On the medicine side. Yeah. Completely 100%, 100%. On the educational benefit side. Yeah, there, there's yeah. some administration that has to be uh, for oversight. But yeah, the medicine side, privatized. You can't fix your broken toys unless you fix society first. And I think if you look at some sort of case examples, the post-traumatic stress rate amongst Israeli soldiers is extremely low. And those guys see some shit because the entire society had to serve. Mm -hmm. So there is a common thread and a respect that they reintegrate their soldiers having seen what their soldiers for the most part have uh, have seen. You see the same thing with, uh, I'm trying to think of the uh, author, great author, uh, Tribe. Um, also, oh, remember, um, yeah, um, it'll come to me. Gotta have that book. But um, yeah. where he talked about, uh, in, uh, it'll come to me, but he talked about how Native American 
tribes reintegrate mm -hmm. yeah. their, their veterans coming home into that tribal aspect. Well, there was a great article by one of the commandants recently that talked about the dif difference between society and uh, in the military. And what he was advocating for is that the military should not be used for progressive testing uh, of some of these ideologies. And he talked about how in the military, the culture- Seth Gogan. Uh, Gogan. Not, Gogan. not Seth Gogan. Oh, no, no, Seth, no. Seth Gogan. Uh, tribe. Tribe. Uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Younger, right? Yeah, there you go. Uh, okay. Yes. So, that's yeah. You know, he's talked about in the military. We, we try to enforce leadership principles or, or instill leadership principles like conformity. And conformity is not necessarily a bad thing. Even on a football team, there's yeah. got to be conformity to, to process and procedure. Everyone's not running their own way. Uh, team ability, things like that. But he said overwhelmingly within the, the, the private sector, civilian populace, that uh, individuality is a high uh, sort of leadership principle. And he's, he's not saying that's not a bad thing. We all want some semblance of individuality. We want people to retain their, 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 their self-identity. But when a veteran, regardless of whether they saw war or not, comes out of that tribal environment in the military and steps into it back into, uh, I'm not going to say the real world, steps, steps back well, into the civilian world, yes. you're like, what the hell is this? It goes, it's, it's, it's an antithesis to everything you lived and breathed for four years. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and that you just have an allergic reaction. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, honestly, same thing happens in NFL players, right? Like, here's this job I had, yep. and here's my friends, here's my identity. Got and it. then one day they just fucking show up and hand you shit and push you out the door and say, go fuck yourself. Yeah. And like, uh, and you know, it isn't anybody walks around and says, thank you for your service <clears> or anything, but you know, they probably should because it's a lot like serving in the military. Um, but uh, no, I, I'm, I'm with <laughs> just, you, dude. Cut off those little, send them to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, I like when Tom Brady said that, like, no, but, but I knew what he was trying, I knew what he was trying yes. to say, like, you know, like we go to training camp and it's this, and you know, like, like I understand the now, like, what he was trying to do. And the problem is, is people just fucking dove on it because they just want to fucking splash it. And sometimes it's the veteran that, like, it's the veteran going crazy that was, like, in the military for four years, not denigrating someone's service for, I mean, the World War II generation. A lot of them only served for four years. Yeah. And I would never put myself next to, in their category. But maybe, like, was on a fob in Iraq. And it's just, they, they go off the hinge. It's like, hey, dude, he's, he's making an analogy yeah. that he basically, his life is consumed by football. When yeah. he, calm yeah. down. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I would say the one metaphor that would hold, though, um, for the NFL uh, is that, you know, you're going from being the best in the world at something to being sort of a nobody, Dude. right? And that's what happens in the teams, right? So we have guys who serve 20 years. not a and, bad thing. And they go from being like, I am the absolute best in the world at what I do. I went through this crazy selection process to be here. One of the few guys who could make it and thrive in this world. And now I'm going to get out and I'm going to go work in a cubicle and like compare myself. to Or you get attacked by some county and, sheriff, like in the documentary, First Blood. Yeah. You know, John J. Rambo. And then you, and you fucking, can't get enough body bags at yeah. that point. Yeah. Sad, but true story. Yeah. Uh, so I stood up a program called Vetted, one of my many textbook failures, stepping out of the military. Uh, some good people like General Tony Kukulo, who's a vice chancellor at UT. McCraven helped me a little. Uh, Admiral Bobby Inman, who's well known in Austin, helped me. But you know, basically, it was a MBA light for senior military uh, leaders getting out, both enlisted and officer, to get about you know the, the financial acumen, acumen <clears throat> that they lacked and, and prepare them to either start businesses or get jobs. One of the things that we were so talking kind of like about, the Honor Foundation. Yeah, yeah. it was. Yeah. Uh, but we were much more focused on the 
uh, well, the transition and preparation, but the actual, the, the financial and, and business piece. Yeah. One of the things we th- threw around, because there are a lot of analogies with pro sports, is that you're the very best and you lose your tribe. And then it's just yeah. like the, the NFL, the, the MLB, just like the military, are great getting you guys into the league. They are awful, regardless if you have a player union or not. Our, our player union is called the VA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they are not good at putting people back into the real world. But we had talked about putting football players or pro athletes right next to some veterans because of the the common threads. And some of these guys have money. These guys don't. Maybe they find something. They start businesses on entrepreneurship. It just we never got f- uh, enough ahead until we got we hit some political roadblocks in Texas and we got shut down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah we, well, uh, I was trying to do, uh, so Joe Musselman, you know, started the honor foundation yeah. and he and I were, he and I were actually working together when the whole thing started. Uh, we're, we're pitching to try to do a, basically a year of really intense rehab for the seals, you know, and like do things like their hormones and peptides and give them hyperbarics and, you know, and make know, them reflect tra- transcranial magnetic mm-hmm. stimulation, yeah. you know, whatever, like whatever the cutting edge stuff was like, try to try to compensate, you know, try to help these guys compensate for their deficits and, and ameliorate what to the best we could for whatever, you know, detri- uh, deficits they had. And we pitched it over and over and over and over again. And there were, there just wasn't enough money for the medical side. You know, like we, we did a small little pilot, uh, in, in my brick and mortar practice in, in Point Loma. And it, it's just, it was, it was too expensive. So now that's kind of what all the foundations are. Like mm-hmm. I don't know how many steel foundations do we have? Like probably six or seven or part, something. Part of it is just timing. Yeah. And I don't think people were ready. Yeah. And, uh, so now, yeah, now those organizations are paying for a lot of that, uh, treatment that I was, you know, uh, trying to get implemented back then. Um, and so they're, you know, they're paying for hyperbarics, they're paying, you know, they're funding people to do psychedelics, they're mm-hmm. funding, uh, you know, peptide use, they're, they're funding, you know, um, all, like just about any kind of uh, transcranial magnets, transcranial ultrasounds, um, you know, whatever, you know, whatever might help, you know, that has uh, some, that, you know, that's not 100% voodoo, that has like some, Plausible Dude, credibility uh, to it, and uh, I think personally, the uh, hyperbaric chamber protocol was fucking huge for me. And, and if you combine that with peptides, yeah. it's amazing. Like and, the uh, difference, I, that's the biggest difference I've seen. And, are those effects last uh, long lasting, uh, or does it require recurrent? Uh, we don't know. That's what um, we're trying to. That's figure what out. we're in. Uh, like our like so, uh, Dr. Do, Joe DeRudy, who we met through Doc, who's like the you know um, kind of the authority on this. So we text a bunch, and as, as, and I talked to Doc a lot. Like you know, after you go through the forty session protocol because it was five sessions a week for eight weeks which is really fucking hard to do um, but i did it and uh i noticed a ton of cognitive improvement and then i wondered if is there like a topping off effect like could, you know could i do one and this and so i hit joe constantly all these questions he's like ah, nobody fucking knows and i'm like well how often should you do it he's like i don't know we've like nobody does. that's like, like, like and, and we don't even know like how short how short can you go right like so there was like, one protocol that pro- the navy tested and that's the only research they have because it was so financially uh I guess like just the investment was so big that yeah, it was just they, they could only do and one. So maybe maybe you could do it with two dives a day and do it and half the time. Yeah, we don't know. So so Joe's maybe kind of doing the research on it. But when you you know like some of the effects. So like you know, one one of the things that it does is it increases um, you know basically the chemical pathways in your brain that help decrease inflammation in the brain and help. Uh, 
you know, regenerate damaged brain tissue and help, you know, new neural pathways to form. And, uh, and one of the ways that it does that is by it, it, something called angioneogenesis or neovascularization. So you're growing new, new blood vessels. And the, obviously the benefit of hyperbarics is you don't need blood vessels to get the oxygen yeah. there. So, so the body can use plasma to get oxygen around and the plasma and is, it, it absorbs so that it can oxygenate part of the brain that no, that would never get but, oxygen. But then that increased activity in those, in those cellular environments lead to blood vessel growth. So if you do, there's actually peptides that can give you that will increase angioneogenesis as well. So then that goes, not only does that go faster, but then once you finish hyperbarics, let's see if 80% of your benefit came from that and you stay on the peptides sure. and you don't ever lose the, the new, the new well, vessels and then maybe you never need hyperbarics again. We they know. were also testing psychedelics where uh, with ketamine uh, yeah. for people with depression. So what they were effectively doing is the ketamine, uh, ketamine was jamming into parts of the brain that I guess it would never get to and helping people with that. So they've tested with, I mean, so it's pretty fascinating that they've taken these different things and then used the hyperbaric environment to like basically drive it into the brain. Ketamine. I didn't know about the ketamine and psychedelics. Yeah. Ketamine. Mixed and, uh, with uh, hyperbaric. Yeah. So yeah, the low dose ketamine. They, yeah. They're, then, they're, they're trying it with just about everything. Right yeah. Now. They've tried um, psilocybin and I like, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, like, yeah, like there's no absence of what people are trying but i think what's fascinating on the hyperbarics is i didn't notice it immediately it was like six months later that all of a sudden you're like like cognitively like doing something and i, I like i remember i came i can't remember what i was doing but i think uh i was um oh i was i know what i was doing um my kids have games on their on their phones and my daughter came over and was like hey i'm stuck in this part and i was like i picked it up and i was like oh and like as i was like basically tearing this thing up i never played and she's like dad you're pretty good at video games i'm like i've never played them and I don't know. And she was like, you're way better than you used to be. And I'm like, ah, is this luck? What is it? But the only thing I could think of was like cognitively, I could see what was happening faster than what I normally would. And uh, it was just kind of a weird effect. And I think I hit up Joe and he's like, oh yeah, no, you can test it with like video games or, or like that. There's cognitive testing that Mind we've games. done before and yes. after. We can see the effects. And um, he's like, you know, and I'm like, well, how long do they last? He's like, ah, we don't fucking know. The, you, and the you, same you thing. assumption that you guys know all about the brain. Oh yeah, but go through Nico. They're like, oh, we have we, we, don't, we don't know anything oh, yeah. about anything. Obviously, it's like um, there's, there's a ton of fevers in medicine, but we know we know like one percent of what's going on. Uh, it's mainly descriptive. We use big words to describe what we saw, and people go, oh, they must know what they're talking. About. It's like all we did is describe something. It's yeah. like you you watch a car crash and you describe it and use Latin words, and it's and now all of a sudden it's a big smart idea. It's like no, you just watch the car crash. Like that's, a, that's all that happened, um, but. Uh, you know, like one of the things we know about psychedelics is that, you know, there's, there's gates and, you know, there's gated regions in your brain. So certain regions of your brain don't typically communicate sure. with other regions and you have, um, what's called the default mode network, right? It's just, it's like the, the parts of your brain you use on a routine basis to see the way, see the world and the way you see them, the, the way you see the world. Like that's just, that's who you are. That's kind of your, your default. Um, and you can engage different regions of your brain that you don't ordinarily engage when you're under the effect of psychedelics. And then psychedelics decrease um, the stress in the brain, right? The amygdala, which is like our alarm system, it decreases that. And so now you take away the fear and you branch out. And e even the, the hemisphere uh, difference in our brain, right? You know, you, you have sort of the, the novel, you know, I'll, I'll use simplistic, right? So right it's not, it's right not, it's not quite true, but the creative yeah. side yeah. and the logic side, uh, 
but you you even get you know some of that communication but you also you're getting different regions of your brain communicating that don't ordinarily communicate and now you have hyperbarics in there you have more blood flow in there you have more oxygen in there so those regions not only are communicating but they have a higher energy level than they've had in the past um, and so you you accelerate both kind of both things because you're trying to you're trying to accelerate um, when you're dealing with people who have PTSD, by and large, what you're saying is there, there's some amount of brain damage there. It could be all inflammatory, but it's most likely uh, there's some brain damage in there. So, well, if you've got all these new networks and a different way to get around this problem than you would have ever been able to do before, plus you've added a bunch of oxygen, you've added new blood vessels, you added BDNF, which is like repairing the brain, you're decreasing the inflammation of the brain, the brain's working better. And now you can come up with a new default mode network, right? You can you can see things that you've never seen before and you can uh, consider possibilities and avenues of ways of solving problems that you've never thought of before. And you would never think of under uh, under any other circumstances, you would never get there. Um, so it, it's fascinating, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a roll of the dice, you know, I'm usually sure. like, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We just know that, hey, all these potentials exist. Huh. Yeah, no, I... I uh, it, it's weird to me that hyperbarics have been around as long as they have, and we know nothing about the effect, but we know that it's positive. I mean, for, for me the, personally- The Russians had 1,300 approved uses of hyperbarics, and we have, thir well, we just added a 14th. Uh, Israelis, I think, have like around 160 or something. So and when I was a, a current NFL player, um, my first year in Kansas City, we played uh, opening day in Denver, and uh, I got fucking smashed. And I called Tom Inkledon. I was like, Tom, you know, what do we do? And he's like, hold on. And he sent me a uh, hypoctic chamber. So I pretty much had put a tent around my bed and it hooked it up and I could basically sleep at Everest Base Camp mm -hmm. every night. And I slept like that for years. And like all of a sudden, like my conditioning was fucking phenomenal. And I, I would have owned a hyperbaric chamber if I was a current NFL player. And I'd come home after every day after practice and get in that bitch. Like it, it, it like at that point. I'd sleep like, in a hyperbaric chamber if I, if I could have it, you know. Well, I mean, uh, I, I was thinking on like, uh, it, it, like what's the too much, you know, like, I mean, I, I know when we were doing the dives, it was what, 2.2? You, you can test though. Like, uh, so, the, so there's some pretty obvious markers, um, you know, because your, your oxidative markers will go up if you have, you know, because you're creating free radicals, right? right? Um, and so when your oxidative markers go up too high and you can't supplement past it, then you know, you've gone too far, but usually the first thing is you'll start getting some pulmonary toxicity. You'll start getting a little bit of cough and just kind of irritable and you, you know, you got to cut, you got to cut back. And that, that happened to me just in a regular uh, table like you, like you did the eight weeks, uh, yeah. uh, five days a week for eight weeks. Well, what's wild and uh, so my eyesight got so good that I pretty much had like, I could like, uh, it was probably 10, um, 25. Like my eyesight was so good that we were driving and I like said to my wife, there was something and I was like, Hey, do you read that up there? And she's like, what the fuck are you looking at? And we got up on it and she was like, you were able to read that. And I told doc, he's like, his doc's eyesight got worse. Yeah. So it, it oxygenates the eyeball and it changes the, uh, you know, for me, it made mine better for docs. Like I, I was fucking blind. I couldn't see anything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was like, I got like x-ray peepers. And yeah. Cause, you, cause you're, you're dissolving, <laughs> you're, you're dissolving, uh, air bubbles, uh, like into the aqueous humor, so the fluid in there. And so you're actually expanding it and you're changing the shape of the eye a little bit. And so, you know, if your focal point is a little back and then you pull it back and 
back into place, but it, it was unreal. Mine's the other way. Like my, you know, my focal point. Yeah. It's as I'm getting older, it's getting a little further away. So it just made me yeah. worse. I called Doc. I'm yeah. like, Doc, my fucking eyesight's so good. He's like, Fuck, I can't see shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, I guess we got opposite problems. I was reading street signs like this. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, it, I was going under them. It, <laughs> like, it's really, um, you know, like whenever people talk about this, like uh, life extension, and they talk about like, you know, maybe, you know, like it, it's this. It's all over the fucking internet. The only thing that I've really come in, come to understand in all the podcasts we've done, the 600 plus and all the conversations, I think hyperbarics are legitimately one of those things that are regenerative to the point of like anti-aging. And then the other one is probably lifting weights and training and exercise. Muscle mass. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had, uh, thanks for having, uh, introducing us to yeah, Gabrielle Leon. She's lying. Uh, yeah, she's a legit crazy person in a great way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. She, she, as I like to say, she pisses energy. Yeah. So I was like, wow, like you gotta bring that down. Yeah. I, she drinks a lot of coffee. I know. Cause I, I like posted something on Instagram stories and she's like, I drink it all day. I'm like, I, I fucking, I got it. So she came in, I did a podcast with her. Then I drove her to, uh, Wes. He's out in like, uh, near the, the, the lake. Um, he's got the rogue coffee, I believe or something. He's got the uh, outdoor gym. Yeah. Yeah. Wes uh, Whitlock. Wes Whitlock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. And she did a workout with, uh, with him then came back and I think he was doing the podcast with you the next day. And I'm like, and this is a weekend for you? Yeah. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. She got kids and a husband and this. And I'm, yeah, she's a. Uh, and she, she's part of one of, our, one of the organizations yeah. where we're paying, you know, it's treating the SEALs. Yeah. Uh, That's She, she did mention that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she, um, she's, yeah, no, part, she's, she's part fuck, of one of those. Yeah. yeah she got some energy. And she's married to a team guy. Someone said it, her husband's a SEAL, but uh, her. Yeah. Uh, not That's what she told he's us. a seal, but uh, someone said he's a doctor. But I didn't, so yeah, I didn't I think he's a, a former urology? a former seal, and I think he's in med school. That is accurate. Yeah. So I think it's, I think his focus is going to be urology. Okay. Um, so there's another one. Hmm? I, Doc, you're not going to be the only one. I, I wasn't the only one already. Oh, I thought you were like the only guy. <laughs> no, we've got we've got a couple that are astronauts, Blue Angel pilots head of neurology and seals oh. with two of those yeah i'm about lower achiever man <laughs> I'm, uh, a, I'm a nobody in this I'm, organization i'm a little man. sad though that you were a peacetime seal i think uh hey, man, i mean somebody's got to give hollywood stuff to work with you know? <laughs> yeah mike how's the how's the everyday warrior project coming it's, it's coming along um it's grown substantially uh it's going to take a little bit of a backseat for the next two months with that uh, with triple seven but we stacked episodes so that we have a, a backlog um and i think with legacy expeditions it's gonna it's just gonna keep growing men's journal has been great um too many things on my plate oh something, we, something's gotta we get, get it. it that's yeah. good no yeah. i i always it's a good think, problem to have yeah no it's great like uh, uh i want to die trying to choke on eating the elephant like the idea that's a ghost in here. Uh, like, you know, can you imagine if you had nothing to do? Like, uh, that scares Boredom? me more than anything. When's the last time y'all felt bored? Hmm. I, I had something to say, yeah. but I would get yelled at. Um, <laughs> It'd be in the military. <laughs> bored? <laughs> like sitting around an airport in the military for like six days waiting you, for your ride. <clears throat> you know, I, I'd have to qualify that question in a couple different ways. Like, one, I love my wife. And, and I'm happy in that, that regard, but this, do you but, miss? Yeah, but. <laughs> no, no, no. Do you miss? What's your race is uh, everything you said before? He's slowly walking off the plane. Uh, let me start by telling you I love my wife, but. <laughs> but you, you do miss the thrill of what we did 
And what I love so much, and it's the same thing with you guys in, in, in the NFL, is if you weren't growing, you were dying. And so when it's, it's almost slowing down, motion is, uh, is lotion. And not doing that job, not pushing the, the, the limits in a very risk mitigated smart way to promote growth, that's what I miss. And, and that's why legacy expeditions, I'm like, and I got it from the guys. I saw it, they're like, man, if I could just ride a little bird again, yeah. just for that thrill, I'm like, I think I have something and actually something cooler that could give you a, a spiritual, emotional uh, sort of awakening Mm-hmm. And which you know you need every few months, but uh, yeah, I'd say it's well. And you also, when I left you also need this shit show of uh, discomfort and chaos that's going to bring out everybody's yeah. inner comedian. <clears throat> like, yeah. There's it's, nothing funnier than a bunch of SF guys like just suffering. We we are going like, to fuck, and we're going to be miserable as shit. And it's going to be so funny. And you know who's going to be worse? hysterical is Andy. Oh, he has made he he has made yes. Car. And, and so, I, you know, when you put 15 of these guys in coach on flight from uh, Barcelona to Egypt, while one's like finally sleeping, stand by, mm-hmm. stand by. Because they're, I think we're going to get air marshaled off of one of these flights when we arrive in like Egypt or, or somewhere else. <clears throat> it's going to be hilarious. It should be fun. Yeah. I'm going to bring a lot of adhesive remover and... Uh... Wow. And antibiotics. Well, I mean, the, the fact you have Doc, but uh, if you don't notice, uh, he's a fucking gorilla. So, uh, and not only, not only can he fucking beat you down, he's probably going to be able to stitch you up. So, Doc, I always get a little nervous the day that, like, uh, you decide to lose it. I'm, I'm like, I'm going to have to take him down. This would be a fucking bad fight. <laughs> like, Doc's like, well, mild manner. One day he's going to snap. I'm like, ah, fuck, Parsley, I'm going to have to fucking beat you to death. I, I, I almost kind of snapped in your gym one day. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? You should have. I should have. Yeah. I know you should have. And I, I thank yeah. you for not killing anybody. Yeah. Well, right. Anything else, Mr. McCook? Well, we know 777.givesmart.com. So that's where people go. What can they expect once they get there? It is a donation site for Folds of Honor. And all I'm asking is just for a little bit of help. You know, we like to say that everyone makes you for your service until you ask them to make a sacrifice. Well, I'm asking them to make a small little sacrifice. Again, 100% of the, uh, the donations go to spouses and children, uh, education sponsor, educational sponsorships uh, of military families and first responders. So dear to our hearts. You'll be surprised uh, who come out of the woodwork to help. I mean, we're right in the, in the throes of Wade's army and uh, we just hit $200,000. No so, way. Yeah, we just hit 200K this year. Wow. Like today. And uh, it's pretty amazing that, you know, a small charity with, you know, that we cobbled together between Chris and Tex and, I mean, uh, Luke and myself. And then we've, you know, over 10 years given it back to Heather and my wife and them to run. And, you know, we built the truck this year. So, um, which hopefully which, I win. Which, dude. I am so excited. I, I hope somebody. I got five tickets. I, I hope. <laughs> Colin, Colin bought two. Dude, I, I just. I want one of my friends to win it and I can't wait to go deliver it to him and fucking see him drive around in it. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we sold about 600 tickets, which is pretty amazing. So we've raised 60 grand off, off that truck and we still got about two more weeks left. But, uh, uh, DJ and I built that truck in about five weeks. It was over okay. 600 hours yeah, and it was 104 degrees in the shop. So we, uh, were bleeding out of our eyes, but, uh, we built it and, uh, it's a pretty amazing truck. So I'm stoked on it. 
And that's uh, one part out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you thought, saw okay, it yeah. That blue, so thought, blue, yeah, with, the blue, blue with the stripes. Yeah. But, um, man, it's, it, what's, a, what's pretty amazing. And I, you'll see this with the charity. I'm sure you guys do that. Like people will come out of the woodwork to help just because it's you. And more importantly, it's a good, it's a good deal. Like I'll, I'll, I'll donate. Like, I mean, how could I not? I mean, we, we work in the SEAL community. We, we had contracts with Naval Special Warfare <laughs> I mean, to, to know these guys both socially in this and the guys that pay the ultimate price and to a little bit of something to help their families along. It just makes a ton of sense. How and, you and not my, get to my try to send a note or, or just a quick little video to every single person that donates, whether it's 25 bucks or we have, you know, with thousand bucks uh, yesterday, I'm like a thousand bucks from somebody who doesn't know you. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's powerful. That's impact. So yeah, this is a great one. The, the other one I, I give to uh, every year is Vetpaw. I don't know if you know those guys. Yeah. But pretty much it takes SF dudes and they send them to Africa to hunt poachers mm. or protect the animals, but they really hunt poachers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I could not give, like if if I was uh, like a Jeff Bezos or like just had like, you know, like an- Cell phone. Like, yeah, like, like that type of shit. I'd be like, what do you guys need? Mm-hmm. How can we protect all these white rhinos? Because yeah. I've never been to Africa and I've never seen a white rhino, and I have this like terrible uh, feeling that they're going to kill the last one. And I'm not going to be able to see it, so I donate to those guys. But I mean, the Seal Foundation, what you guys are doing is great. It's so important because um, you know, for us, these have been our friends. I mean, you know, I see Doc as you know as much as anybody, so it's a uh, it's a great deal, and, and you know, I'm stoked to support it. And thanks for coming, man. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Yes. So that's the word triple seven, the number. Dot givesmart.com. Yes, sir. Cool. cool. All right. Well, and right. Everyday Warrior podcast. Dude, you've, had, journal. Yeah, you've journal. had some fucking banger guests. And Doc. It's great. We keep saying we're going to have you on. We, uh, we, we, on, but, we, um, we started low. I got one last question for each of you. Mike, you're in the leadership camp. Doc, you're in the medical camp. If you were to give people, think of battle the bullshit. Here's one guiding thing, how I want people to think when it comes to viewing and listening to leadership and then taking care of your own health, Doc. Mm. So think of this battle of bullshit. What's one piece of guidance that you would give people in your respective fields? You want to go first? Or me? Uh, leadership is such a vague art. It requires constant reassessment. What made you successful as a leader of 10 will not make you successful as a leader of 100 or 1,000. And uh, things evolve. So the bottom line with that is you don't know shit. Uh, and and I, I recognize that uh, I was not always the uh, the best leader, but, um, you know, ultimately you have to evolve as a leader. And if you think you've got to figure it out, you've got a hard lesson coming. Uh, I'd say... I, I mean, I, I don't want to really talk about medicine is <clears throat> I don't consider that my role, like, uh, but if you want to talk about health, um, the, the most important thing to realize is that uh, half, so of the well-meaning, really educated, uh, experienced providers, half of what they say is wrong. Of the people who are just trying to make a profession out of being some sort of health leader, 90% of what they say is wrong. Um, the only way you can sift through the bullshit is to make yourself the expert on you. And you don't have to learn everything about 
everybody's specialty. You don't have to understand what every influencer says or understand every aspect of medicine, but you need to understand what you need to do to reach your goals. And your goals are your goals. Your goals are being smart. That's different than somebody who wants to be strong. It's different than somebody who wants to live forever. Like whatever your goals are, they're valid. It's your goals. Learn everything that you can about that and learn it from 10 or 15 different sources and try it on yourself. Uh, nobody, Nobody's coming to save you. Uh, you have to be not only your own advocate, but you have to be the expert on your health. I can study a disease my whole damn life and I don't know anything about it compared to somebody who's lived with that disease for 20 years. Right. Like what I know is a joke at that point compared to them. They've lived through it. They've gone through all these treatments. They understand them better than I will ever. Um, and, and unfortunately, that takes time and it takes effort, but it's no different than the time and effort it takes to work out or to eat right or to, you know, mow your damn lawn, take care of your house, you know, whatever. Like it's, it's part of being an adult. You need to know more about your health than anybody else. Um, and don't put your faith hundred percent in anybody. Well, but I also think too, you have to have trusted experts. Like, um, you know, I, I reach yeah, out to there's, there's guys you yeah. reach out to and guys you trust, but like, I'll, I'll tell you, as a matter of fact, I'm, 100% sure that half of what I think is true is wrong. Well, but I, don't know, tell you I don't know which half. Well, that's but, the problem. But, <laughs> you know, but how many individuals, I always think that's why I appreciated you, Doc, in that way, was you're, you're the first one to say that, like, uh, you know, and where, but you talk to a lot of doctors and it's like, uh, I know everything. I have the lab coat and the degrees to prove it and mm-hmm. that I'm infallible. And you hear with such certainty and I'm always like, how the fuck are these people this certain on this? <laughs> and then it's funny. We'll talk about stuff and you're like, dude, there's, there's not enough research to be certain on anything. Yeah, absolutely. Science changes every damn day. Boom. Cool. Well, well thanks for tuning in. To another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Bye.